0: Hey, you're listening to the Weekly Bake, hosted by Toby, Jasmine, and Sophie. Hey, guys! Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Bake. It's Toby. This is Jasmine. This is Sophie. And this week we have a lot of different things we want to touch on when it comes to what's been popping in pop culture jasmine why don't you start us off by talking about mac miller
1: yes so within the last week um the hip-hop cult world has you know experienced a really devastating loss um, unfortunately mac miller passed away um, at the age of 26. Um, i think the speculation is due to an overdose you know it's really sad i know there's been a lot of um a lot of Speculation of like what caused it, why, etc. But I think this just needs to open the conversation of the issue of addiction and what it does to people's lives. And you know, it's sad because I know a lot of people. um, That if you guys follow Mac on social media, you know there were there were videos the night before on his Instagram, on his Instagram live, his story of him, you know, just like showing off new beats, new production. Um, And it's just sad because I know, like, for me personally, um, with, like, our age group that we're in, I grew up with Mac, you know, he was there for my adolescent years, I remember Knock Knock and all of those, like, all of those, like, fun songs that, you know, it takes me back to high school and reminiscing, and so it's just crazy to think that um, the world lost such, you know, an important... Creative in the hip hop world, and just like the just like the the stuff that he's contributed to music, and you know we're not going to get that anymore. And you know his his new album dropped recently, uh, within the last year, and just I think it's just it's really uh, sad and really hard to realize that we're not going to get any new, you know, beats and music from Mac because a lot of us grew up on him.
2: And I think that. He's been around, like, not been around for a while, but like you said, like, he, we, like, grew up with him, and he's been super open through his music about his addictions and, like, trying to overcome his addictions, and it's really sad to see um, someone that's been in the limelight, like, kind of lose their... It's like they've, like, lost a battle to a, a addiction, and, you know, we want to see them succeed, and we want to see them get better, and so I think it's, like, a lot of his fans and people that aren't super um, into Mac Miller, they still see, like, the struggle, and they... Um, You know just like we're hoping for him to get better and so it's sad to see him lose his like battle to addiction but moving on to further things already (laughs) oh or toby if you want to talk about
0: well i was just gonna say that the rap community has really been like rallying around him and then i know what we talked about before we started but on the flip side of things there's really been like a light shining on mental health this entire summer like we lost kate spade and then demi lovato Mm. was having her huge battle with addiction and then similar to mac miller she's been very open about it in her music especially this summer i know like she released a song called sober and then within a month or so she overdosed and was in a rehab facility so it's hard like seeing so much loss but then at the same time it's sad that this is how the world and like younger society are learning about these things but it's just like if these things didn't happen yes i mean it's
1: important it's important to bring awareness to these issues because it's so easy to be like addiction is a choice like you chose to do that Mm -hmm. it's so easy to believe these you know harsh stigmas that revolve around mental illness and addiction and so yes it's unfortunate that you know we're losing a lot of lives and a lot of talent um, in pop culture due to these issues. But I think what's important and what will be the most impactful and that, and that the, the public needs to take away from it is how serious we have to take this conversation and how we need to be more mindful. There needs to be more research. There needs to be more resources. You know, it's, it you can't, you, you can't just be like, check on your friends, check on who you love and then forget about it the next day. You know, it's, it's mental health and, um, and struggling with addiction is is it is something you have to overcome and that you have to continuously keep working at you know it's a it's a continuous effort that you have to be able to put in to overcome it and some people don't ever overcome it and so I think it's important I think what's important is with all with all this coming up in the line line of pop culture is that for us as a society and as a public we need to take we need to remember that like these celebrities that we put on a pedestal are humans too and they struggle with things too that we all do and um we can only the only thing that we can do now is take is take those issues that have happened at that level of platform and to actually apply it to real life and apply it and make a difference and finally you know
0: do some kind of turnaround with these issues. Yeah, and these people can be mental health advocates. Cause I think a lot of times it's easier said than done, and it's a lot easier to tell people like, "Hey, like, don't do drugs and this and that." But then maybe for people to come back later, like Demi, after she does feel like she's in a good place, can then come and then use her experience to help enlighten others. And be like, "Hey, I've been down this road from one sister to another. It's so like you don't want to go down that yeah. path." And like, these are the things that I'm overcoming daily to get through these struggles. Right. It's sad. rest yeah. in peace mode. Exactly. Rest in peace. All love.
1: Yeah.
2: Um.
1: But yes, where were you headed? On, for? Yeah, where were you taking us,
0: so
2: I was gonna talk about Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> Winning yeah. the US Open.
0: Naomi Osaka, twenty years old, won the US open this past weekend. I can't
2: believe how young she is. She's so um, young. Like twenty Japanese, yeah. half Japanese, half yeah. black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mixed representation two black women hey. in the finals of the US Open hey. Hey. and she's also Asian so like, yes. Yes. The representation.
0: So like either way it was going to be a win but then obviously I'm sure you guys have seen if you've been on the internet any, at any point this week the controversy <laughs> that has spun from the US Open due to some penalties and some things that happened to Serena Williams during the game, and then I guess her reaction towards some of these things that happened. And while I think we can all argue that they were warranted, and she did hold herself very well at the end, you know, like comforting Naomi when she was crying because the crowd was
2: booing, like at the umpire, and it did kind of it feel like her win was taken away. From so, her. Bad. It yeah. was so bad, it like, was so bad, like dramatic sad. to like the T, and yeah. like Serena Williams is one of the like most loved tennis players of all time Or my first oh yeah exactly like she's definitely respected yeah a hundred percent and so it's not like the crowd was booing osaka they were booing the um yeah and it's it and that just like takes away from like the victory yeah at yeah. such
0: a young age and your first grandson win and you're playing against
2: your like <laughs> so tennis weird. icon like, she grew up
0: watching her and was like i like Want to be like Serena? Yeah, and me she too. For right? the you second suck time. At tennis. Yeah, she played it for the second time, but obviously it was on a bigger scale. I just like how, even though everyone around them on the stage was like clearly kind of like grown off by everything that it happens. Serena still had a smile on her face, was like, girl, like, you did this, like, you won, despite all the turmoil she was going, like, through on the inside. But yeah, I know, Sophie, you had some good points about how this kind of shines a light on, like, sexism and racism within the sports industry pertaining yeah. to women. Yeah, like,
2: I'm not, like, a super huge tennis follower. I think Serena Williams is awesome in the sense of, like, who she is as, like, an athlete and, like, how much she's respected and admired, regardless if you're a tennis advocate or a tennis lover. She's just a fantastic athlete, and she's definitely been, like, awarded for that, but also within tennis, it's kind of, like, a higher, a high culture sport, I would say, and there's definitely, like, some, well, not just, this is in sports in general, but I think it definitely, like, primarily, like, kind of shows in, like, tennis, like, how there is, like, sexist and, like, racist remarks of, like, who can wear what, who can be penalized for what, who can be called out for all that kind of stuff. I feel like men, like, masculinity traits was like more to be more not necessarily like violent but to be more bold and to have certain attributes that women aren't supposed to have and so when women do um, portray these like qualities that are quote unquote masculine and it kind of like falls out of like what you would think feminine athletes volleyball should be like mm-hmm. um, the media mm-hmm. attaches that like attacks that a lot more and so that's why I think Serena Williams is catching a little bit more slack for being bold and for being um, a little bit more outspoken when society doesn't shape feminine like athletes to, like femininity to be in that aspect mm-hmm. so I think like that sexist and that kind of sexist and the like, Cause like men can wear whatever the hell they want And like Serena Williams And I don't think it's just Serena Serena Williams But they like you have to wear like a skirt and a tank top like no they can wear whatever they want to wear right. unless I, I understand like in Wimbledon like you have to wear like all white like yeah. I kind of I get that kind of stuff it varies the country
0: etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. because tennis is such like an old sport yeah. there's just a lot of rules that have been there since when society was a lot different and mm-hmm. it kind of hasn't adapted since society has right. changed so obviously now that these different issues have risen because of like the suit that Serena yeah. wore that was for her health to help her be a better tennis player after the different health issues she went through even though it was, like a huge obstacle at that point is that she wasn't allowed to wear it i foresee in the future things changing just as rules are changing in sports i mean it sucks for now and yeah like, was it wrong yes but
2: then it's one There's of a those bright like, future things
0: and things are yeah. going to change society continues to evolve but sorry keep going no no and
2: i i that's a good impact because like you yeah. know there has to be people that make examples that kind of go across like the bridge of like what's like socially acceptable within like sports the sports world um and so i feel like there is definitely going to be like a brighter future for like equal opportunity not actually equal opportunities but equal sanction Treatment? yeah yeah i think like men and women for the most like i think like penalties are penalties regardless of what it is but i feel like the way that the media portray or like they see certain athletes based on their skin color or based on like their um biological sex or whatever I feel like that has a lot to play with like how the media portrays them and also Serena like there was an Australian cartoonist that like really depicted Serena Williams in like a very negative light um through like a political cartoon which is just derogatory and like not needed whatsoever like it wasn't worth it just to like have like to go viral for like a day or two yeah
0: And then just coming from the perspective of like a dark-skinned female and then being raised in a society where you look on tv and you see dark-skinned black women being portrayed as angry and you know really aggressive and having a certain type of stereotypes not only do your peers expect you to act that way but then you also have to hold yourself to a higher standard like i've been in plenty positions whether it was when i was competing in pageants or at work or this or that it's like where i've had to Refrain myself from acting in a certain way just because I know mentally, like since I've been a child in elementary mm-hmm. school, that if I act a certain way, then they're gonna assume that all oh, dark skinned black women act And they expect way. that behavior. Yeah, so from they expect you. it. So it's almost as if they're like, yes, like obviously the whole not all society views people this way, but the people that do view dark skin black women that way. When Serena did voice your opinion to the umpire they're probably like yes like fine like obviously this is what we've been trying to say about black women right it's like I the justification know. they yeah. were searching for and mm. she did a good job of, at the beginning of like voicing <laughs> <She her> opinion <laughs> she <laughs> definitely got heated she got heated like I will not discredit that you know like my family's huge tennis fans and that's always kind of been their one critique of Serena like sometimes a girl just like pops off but I think she's grown obviously now she's like a mother she's a wife things have changed for her yeah. but then at the beginning she did hold herself very well and at the end she did but there were times when like when she broke her racket and this and that when it was like right. yikes yeah, I'm like oh damn like I don't want people to not only pro- to think this way of her but then as a dark skinned female I don't want people to look at me that way either so you're right. always kind of looking at your dark skinned sisters on tv like oh please like every reality show please like don't embarrass right. me it's hard yeah because people want to portray you that way. That's so
1: shitty, you know. And um, I think it's just really tough too. Because I think like Serena has dealt with a lot of turmoil in her entire career. So I think she's just at the point where she's fed up, you know. Not only is she underpaid, she's picked on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, she's picked on, you know, for her outfits. You know, people compare her to a man. They don't even treat her like they don't. They don't even. Give, people don't give her the respect. And the treatment that she deserves at the not level. Not all people. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not, not trying to <laughs> generalization. Yeah. But, but like, it's there's, definitely there's there. Like, yeah. She's considered the best tennis player in the world, right. girl, even but, though she's not ranked. Right. But there are times, <laughs> the like, there are people and there are groups that, you know, make these generalizations about her that completely undermine um, her talent and her, like, her dominance in the in the tennis world, you know? Like, I would be fucking fed up, too. Like, I'm Serena Williams, and y'all are still going to treat me like right. I ain't shit. Like, no. No,
2: I completely no. agree. And, like, this just kind of sparked – I just Googled it. But this sparked <laughs> my attention of, like, something that, like, happened – um, when we were in high school, because I was in sports med, I was in sports medicine, and like we kind of talked about like athletes, adrenaline, and all that kind of stuff, and like how like you do, you're coming off like of a big game, and like and then you're getting interviewed, and then you're like, oh, I kind of came off as like a dumbass because like adrenaline's like all in your brain, and you're not thinking like correctly, but. The, to switch like kind of gears about like how athletes are getting portrayed within the media like Richard Sherman mm-hmm. which I just googled because I could not remember to like I could not remember it to save my life but it, like Richard Sherman had just like come off like this huge game and like he's getting interviewed and he's like I'm the best corner in the game like nobody can stop me blah blah, blah. and he's just like hyping himself up so much and like he got he didn't catch like a lot of shit for it but like he caught some some cause people are like oh my god he's just like a cocky like bastard and people like don't necessarily like agree with him all that kind of stuff but it just goes to show like I think I think first off like Serena's getting more crap about this interaction with the umpire than like Richard did but it's I'm not gonna I am not going i do not want to compare but it just I think like it means we should make an example of like when athletes are like in their game and like when they're Doing, like, their thing. Like, there's adrenaline. Like, there's a lot of, like, mindset that, like, I don't even... I don't even... Can't even compare my mindset. Like, this is, like, Serena's, like, whole livelihood, her well-being. She's, like, the best at what she does. And she loves doing what she does. And then she's out there, like, in the finals, playing against someone that she might feel like there's a little bit of a competition. She's... feel like maybe some things are getting on call or getting called that's unfair. Mm -hmm. Like, adrenaline's pumping. She's probably not put like putting herself on, like the like putting herself vocally in the best way that she possibly yeah. could. And I think that has a lot to do with like performance and like the situation and the environment that she's in. Exactly. It's adrenaline and pressure. everything. And yeah. that's, I just wanted to like tie in like the Richard Sherman thing cuz I think like Richard Sherman was like, yo, I'm the best corner in the league." Like no stop me, blah, blah blah because like he's coming off of that ad- adrenaline. Yeah. And like coming off of like a really big game and everything. I think this is kind of like maybe a little bit of the situation that happened with Serena Williams.
0: But then she also had a lot of, like, pressure, because it's, like, this was one of her first big Grand Slams, like, since the birth of her baby, and that took a huge toll on her health. Absolutely. And she was playing Naomi Osaka, who had beat her previously before, mm-hmm. so it's, There's like, a
2: big... Environment is playing a very, yeah. a very big, um, like, it's big in the context of, like, what this game actually is. Mm-hmm. It's not just the um, U.S. Open final
0: no <laughs> she got like, a lot more yeah than Naomi um, exactly did. like exactly. this is the start of Naomi's long story now because she has her first Grand Slam under her belt yeah but now it's like I-, I told my mom it almost feels like since Serena did get points taken away during the game it almost, even though Naomi played a good game, it almost feels like, damn, she's gonna have to work really hard to make sure that she wins the next Grand Slam, or else people are gonna say sure. she shouldn't have won. Yeah, so,
2: like, and then like, and that, and when Naomi goes and like plays another big game, like she, it's gonna be based off of environment too, because now she has gonna something be to prove. About this still, yeah, Which sucks. they're gonna talk about. it This for isn't the rest something of that's like. This isn't something that's just going to go away. My, oh my roommates and I were talking about it at Zach's which is a chicken place. It was mm-hmm. super good. But one of my roommates, Taylor, she was like, this, watch this turn into a movie. Like, this isn't something that's just going to go away. Yeah. Like, this is, oh like, a gosh, big daddy yeah. deal. Like, Tanya. Like, on like, it, like, yeah. yeah. But I, ta- like, Tanya, like, <laughs> she was her good. family was, like, really trying <laughs> to hurt somebody. Like, this is, like, just, like, this is a different. little bit, like... I wouldn't even say a miscommunication. Like, no. there is just some.
0: Like, this is if she's gonna get, uh, yeah, like a story or a movie made about her later on, then like, this
2: will be the start. <laughs> exactly. <a> movie. Exactly. <laughs> like, this is gonna turn into something bigger than, like, I mean, it's a pretty big deal, but it's not like. This, I, I don't think that Naomi needs to have her career based off of this incident. No. And I feel like this, there's a so lot of potential is. for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, every it, single it interview she's
0: had afterwards, is like all they're asking her about is Serena. And she's mm-hmm. like so soft-spoken. And she's like, um, I can not really form an opinion about that because I haven't had time to read
2: anything. Yeah. Like,
0: girl barely has been able to And she's in, there, yes.
2: she's in there playing her game yeah. too, you know? It's not just Serena playing against like a robot. Like, yeah. no.
0: She's a person, a yeah. 12 year old girl. Like,
2: Serena's not just, like, playing with, like, her coach or whatever, or somebody just, like, playing practice. It's like, no, this is a game. There's a, there's a competition. Yeah. Like, she's playing against a competitor that, like, needs to form her own opinion. She's, in, she's probably in game mode, too. Yeah. She's like, I'm in beast mode right now. I don't have time to think about, like, what's happening or what's not happening. Yeah. She's like, in my head, I'm here to win.
0: Exactly.
2: And Serena's in her head. She's here to win. And then just shit hits the fan.
0: Well, We talk <laughs> <So laughs> so about the US Open. Yes,
1: congrats <laughs> Osaka. Yes, sir. and Serena, well, you're still the goat.
2: Yeah. Like, <laughs> we have two legends right now. Yeah. Yes. Icon. Representing.
0: Okay, what do you want to talk about next? You wanna talk about what we've been listening to or do we wanna talk about anything else that's been happening? Um
1: are
2: we get talk about New York Fashion Week. Yeah, oh we, yeah. We are.
1: Yeah, let's <laughs> touch, let's <laughs> touch wow, on that. Um,
2: you wanna start Sony. with your favorites,
1: Yes. Like, we'll so my favorite was actually one of the first shows that's happened. Um I would definitely say Tom Ford was one is one of my favorite shows so far that I've seen. Um Tom, Yes, no, what I love about Tom Ford Tom. is that like like they're able to they're able to not only maintain the traditions and the look of their house, but they're also able to incorporate it. They're also able to incorporate like current trendy, um, like they're not necessarily they have not necessarily have gotten into like the cultural like streetwear look yet, but they're starting to incorporate like trends that are coming up now. Like I've noticed, like leopard print is coming back around. Yeah, oh my gosh! Animal really, yeah, moment. animal print. You know, fringe. Lots of just like fun textures and patterns that come up. So I. What I love about, yeah, Tom Ford with this show that just happened within the last couple of weeks is that, you know, you can still look at, you can still look at the line, you can still look at the show and be like, yes, this is Tom Ford. Um, you know, you can look at any of their designs and you can just tell from, without someone even telling you that it's, that it's Tom Ford, but I love that they can keep the tradition alive, keep the look alive, but still maintaining and incorporating, you know, those trendier looks and pieces.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. What about you guys? Um, well, I'm not the fashion guru like Jasmine. Is, <laughs> but um I can even talk eloquently about this. I like Brandon Maxwell. Um just because I thought his pieces were pretty. <laughs> okay. And like even like last year, it's like very silky, like yeah. very like um like tailored to like a feminine woman's body, you know what I mean? Like everything's like just like everything like just like, like, just, like flows. Yeah, it's very much like is my style. Yeah. Like something that I like would like. Very silky, feminine, dainty, all that beautiful stuff. Um but there's also like a lot of uh new edges new silhouettes yeah but i feel like Brandon maxwell it's like i feel like he makes clothing that's like really like looks good on like tall petite women like i feel like it's very yeah Yeah. that's my point (laughs) like i feel like maybe it's not necessarily like for at all body types but that's just how high fashion is and it sucks but i feel like he's dressed a lot of people on the red carpet
0: yeah
2: like i feel like he could because I feel like he really tailors to um, him in bodies regardless if like, you're curvy or, you're, like, you're fully, like, have, like, a bigger, like, bigger boobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But maybe not somebody that's, like, plus size. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's just pretty stuff. It's, like, it's like you, like, scroll through the pictures, like, wow, 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 yeah. wow. Constantly, like, I'm always impressed. Even, like, last year's stuff, I was like, damn. But he does have a lot of, he uses a lot of androgynous models as well. Like, he uses androgynous models and yeah. also, like, super feminine models. That's, like, mm-hmm. I think. So, it's, like, a mix, like, look-wise, maybe not body-shape-wise. Yeah. So. That's
0: interesting. Yeah. What well,
2: about you, Tosh? For
0: me, I can talk about two that really stood out to me. Um, Fear of God didn't show on the runway, but Jerry Lorenzo just, like launched the whole fall winter 18 of fear of God and he has Jared Leto as one of the models and I can't remember the female model's name but he put a lot of the visuals on his Instagram and it is really like heavenly inspired and everything is just very beautiful and mm-hmm. simple but then it is very up-to-date in terms of like the boxy silhouettes and the muted colors and it's very true to his name mm-hmm. and I think it's just a nice continuation of his line and then in terms of what I like seeing on the runway I really liked Pierre Moss's line and that was just a hundred percent like Black culture at its core, designed by a black designer, and he had so many like black beautiful people in the crowd. Like of course, there's a bunch of diverse people in the crowd. But like Ryan Destiny was there, Khaled was there. Like a bunch of people were there who have worn his clothing in the past, and he had a collaboration with Reebok. It was very streetwear heavy, but it did have that high fashion influence as well in terms of the types of models that he put down the runway, and then. Also, now, stuff that's coming back are those really bright, like, neon colors, and then, of course, the athletic influence is not going away anytime soon. So we had those, like, kind of boxy silhouettes, but then the bright colors, and then he kind of had different reiterations with the Reebok logo. I'm sorry if this all sounds like jargon. I'm trying to paint a really good it's picture but what it was. I really liked it. I really would like to cop some of those pieces, yeah but that's what really stood out to me. yeah And I love Ryan Destiny, so whatever she wears, I'm like, yes. Yeah. I think she looks great.
1: I think it's funny, because if you guys actually take this, the time to like go look at each of these shows that we're talking about you'll see that um a lot of them are like like a lot of our taste and our like personal style is kind of influenced by these shows that we're talking about because yeah. i i'm like picturing both of the like, we like what shows. we like yeah yeah. Yeah. It's, very different. yeah it's very tailored to our taste so that's yeah. funny yeah. yeah um but yes we can go ahead and move on to what we've been listening to this week um so start us off
2: um, Mo released a song, which we talked about Mo in last week's episode. Yeah. Um, the unsung hero of EDM music. Now, Mo released a song in September 7th called Way Down, and it's super cute. It is fun. Like, and she's releasing an album in October. So I think, I don't know if this is like her first single. I don't know what she's kind of doing. Because Mo hasn't released an album in like a really long time. No. There's a lot of singles. So I, um, she did put out. She did put Sat out. in
0: our eyes.
2: Yeah, but she like put out like what's like what her songs are going to be off of her album. I can't remember if Way Down is on there, if it's like a single that she's released, but I know Nostalgia is going to be on there, yeah. Sun in Her Eyes is going to be on there. Um, I would imagine this song could be Way happen, Down, yeah, because it
0: has a similar sound. sound.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty, I love mm-hmm. it. Okay, what about you, Juicy?
0: Very
1: nice. Um, so I've been listening to All Over You by Magic Jordan. Yes, also note. I know, like, a few episodes ago, I said his name differently, like, in a super, like, foreign, fun way, because I thought that's how it was said, because that's how I heard. But then one night, I, I one night I decided to finally go on YouTube and, like, listen to an interview with him and, like, have someone actually say his name, and I was like, oh, okay. So that's how you actually say it. Um, <laughs> I love the song. I love Magic. Like, I, um, his, his voice is just so soothing and, like, easy to listen to, but I love the beat of, like, the production of this song specifically, because it, it's very heavy on, like pop and electronic kind of influences, very poppy, um but I love it. I love the blend of like hip hop and pop. Um an- another song that I've been listening to heavy this week. So, who what off of Travis's album. It's like my new favorite right now. Um I know like whenever we talked about all these album releases a lot of that was like one the of my singles really yeah
0: from the album i said that. i
1: love it no like with migos um because i know like I, like how we always say all the good songs are at the beginning of the album so for me it was kind of it was hard to like go through the whole album and like and get past that first half for a while after it dropped but then i finally did let myself and i heard that yeah i heard that i heard who what with migos and like yeah it's my i'm obsessed
0: now that's all i've been listening to What about youtube's uh so this isn't a subtle plug but i made a playlist earlier this summer called edm i guess because i didn't know where to put like all the music that sounded like edm on my playlist because i don't like listening to it all the time but lately it's all i've been listening to every single day but then specifically throwback this isn't an edm song but the song ghost by ella henderson
2: mm. She's British girl. That's, i forgot exactly. how much I love about that song
0: go into the real Yes. I literally listen to it almost yeah. every
2: day. It's oh, so I good. I literally
0: woke That's up. That's how it was about
2: Octahate a couple weeks ago. Octahate
0: was so good with <laughs> red weaver or whatever, yeah. I'm like yeah. I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how much I loved four years ago. It was like a radio ago. hit. Yeah. It was like all
2: over the radio. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. But yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, <laughs> Google Podcasts. Like, yeah. I couldn't remember the name of that. I one, know. Not, yeah. It's not Google Playlist. <laughs> it's yeah. Google Podcasts.
1: Yeah, follow us on all of our social media. You can check out our website, Um Email us at theweeklybacay at gmail.com. But yeah, thanks so much, guys. This is Jasmine. This is Sophie. This is Toby. And you've been listening to The, the Weekly, Bacay.
2: Weekly Bacay. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Bake. It's just me, Sophie, today. Jasmine and Toby will not be joining me on this episode. I think we're gonna try to do something new and I'm gonna take the reins, no pun intended, but I'm gonna take the reins and treat you guys to something a little different. I've never been able to basically use my educational background of women's gender and communications and talk to you guys something about something that I'm super passionate about. Yes, I'm really interested in pop culture and what's popping in pop culture, but today I wanted to talk something that's a little bit more related to my educational background and kind of enlighten you guys a little bit. So please don't be disappointed that we're not talking about pop culture. I promise you next week we will dive back into pop culture and all the Kardashians and all the super exciting stuff that's been happening within our society. But today I want to introduce you someone that i find super important to women women's history and that's sylvia plath many of you might know her and her influence but i just want to let you guys know a little bit um, of what i've learned in a couple of my courses so sylvia plath is this amazing american poet and she was born in 1932 and she passed away in 1963 of this horrific suicide i definitely don't want to take you guys down that road if you're super interested in it i definitely recommend you guys to google her death it's, it's kind of gory, but hey, if you're into spooky shit, because it is October, I recommend you guys to see how she passed away. Um, there's plenty of theories and articles that are surrounding her death, so you probably won't have an issue with that. But she was an American poet, known for her unique style of confessional writing. Um, she is also known for writing The Female Body and created many definitions of pregnancy, and that's something that I definitely wanted to dive in today and talk about. Um, because for the longest time, men have been the forerunners in doing creative writing and to have creative platforms. And Sylvia Plath, I'm not saying she's like the first person to pioneer this idea of women's creativity, but she definitely pushed through the glass ceiling of writing her own narratives because men have been writing the narrative of women. Women's pregnancy, women's bodies, their history, and so I think it's amazing that I think that it's amazing that she's writing her own narrative. So I'm going to read this poem to you all. It's called Your. Um, I'm not going to be annotating the poetry today, but feel free if you wanted to look up this poetry. um, You can just Google Your, and you'll probably find plenty of platforms to read it off of. No lectures here, but I want to rephrase to you guys her work and the power that it holds. So Your, this is my dramatic reading of Your. Clown-like happiest on your hands, feet to the stars and moon-scold, gild like a fish, a common sense, thumbs down on the dodo's mode, wrapped up in yourself like a spool, trawling your dark as owls do. Mute as a turnip from the fourth of July to Awful's Day. Oh high riser, my little loaf. Vague as fog and looked for like mail, farther off than Australia bent back atlas, our traveled prawn, snug as a bud and at home, like a sprat in a pickle jug, a creel of eels, all ripples, jumpy as a Mexican bean, bright like a well-done sum, a clean slate with your own face on. It's a beautiful poetry, or a beautiful poem about, um, in my interpretation, an unborn baby that's in the womb, so a fetus, and this, The poem alludes to the insights of a joyous pregnancy, and this is a type of confessional writing that is so crucial to women's history. Um, Like I said before, historically, men have encompassed the creativity and have often wrote about women and pregnancy through their limited mindset. And on on this podcast, we have discussed the importance of having accurate and organic representation within media. And this is why I see Sylvia Plath, this is why I find that Sylvia Plath is so crucial for women to have so crucial because she created a platform for women to have creativity and representation in literature. Um, This specific poem creates a certain imagery of pregnancy. The main character depicted is is an unborn baby. Um, The construction of this poem captures an essence of pregnancy from the perspective of Plath. I find that she's writing from her own mindset and how pregnancy at this time in her life is and this is a form of confessional writing um, which helps reveal a certain truth about a person but As the audience, I think we need to remember that this truth is not always to be thought of everything. right? That this truth that Plath is writing in a confessional way isn't 100% true for her always, or at this time. I just think it's a way for her to have an outlet. Um, And it's common to see this type of writing through pregnancy and childbirth, and especially through her experiences of having two children. Um, the description of the fetus isn't gendered. And I think that's super interesting because now, nowadays in society, you see all these gender reveals and um, is it a boy, or is it a girl? And like, society is kind of shaping into this way of having a non-binary. And I'm not sitting here and trying to tell you guys that we shouldn't be living in like a gender binary. and It shouldn't just be men and women, but and all these genders. Um, I just find that this writing is so particular. And we see these types of confessional writing a lot in our society or within ourselves and um, Plath is just a prime example of how confessional writing can be so beautiful and through literature and through the empowerment of women. Um, Plath has definitely capitalized on her platform and even to this day in 2018 I'm still learning about her and being memorized by her work. Um, she definitely throws Im- throw- shows imagery through a non-binary lens. The second piece I work from Plath I want to bring to attention is called Nick and the Candlestick. Um, this, ca- <laughs> this poem is completely different than yours. It doesn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a trigger warnings for anyone, um, but I want to address that it it's a very ominous poem. So this is my reading of Nick and the Candlestick. It's kind of longer, so I hope you enjoy it. I am a miner, the light burns blue. Waxy, waxy stalatites. Stilat- Drip and thicken tears. The earthen womb exudes from its, dread, from its dead boredom. Black bat airs. Wrap me, raggy shawls, cold homicides. They well to me like plums. Old cave of calcium, icicles, old echoer. Even the newts are white. These holy Joes and the fish. The fish, Christ, they are panes of ice. A vice of knives, a piranha, religion drinking. Its first communion out of, communion out of my live toes. The candle gulps and recovers its small altitude. It's yellow, hearten. Oh love, how did you get here? Oh embryo, remembering even in sleep, your cross position. The blood blooms clean. In you, Ruby, the pain you wake is not yours. Love, love, I have hung our cave with roses, with soft rugs. The last of Victoriana, let the stars plummet to their dark address. Let the mercuric atoms that cripple drip into the terrible well. You are the one saw the spaces lean on, envious. You are the baby in the barn. Now, as you guys can see from this reading, this is a very difficult are a different and difficult feeling in comparison to yours. This is also another example of confessional writing. Uh, In my interpretation, this reflects on the harsh aspects of childbirth. Um, For the longest time, the common themes surrounding pregnancy are happy and miraculous. Now, these aren't necessarily wrong interpretations of pregnancy. I think it is amazing that women can bear children. But it isn't a walk in the park to have children, to go through the steps of childbirth and to raise a child. Um, so these can be depicted, uh, mostly these ideas, they can be depicted by men because of the lack of obvious biological characteristics to bear children. So when women were, or men were writing these narratives of women and their pregnancy, they were coming from their mindset, but then you have creators and um, artists like Plath who write from their perspective, um, which is kind of inaccurate because men don't have the biological characteristics too bear children, so they kind of have a limited, like, standpoint mindset. Um, These types of tropes aren't realistic to, well, these types of tropes of miraculous, happy, aren't always consistent and aren't realistic to um, the tropes of childbirth. This poem shows the cruel and solemn aspects of pregnancy, childbirth, parenthood, anything you name it. Plath created a platform to women, for women to express their insecurities of bearing children or being scared to put their bodies through this process, especially in the times of women's oppression um, during this time in the 1900s, or the 20, uh, yeah 1900s, 20th century. Women were getting pregnant and not wanting to stay pregnant. A lot of access to birth control was an issue or too much access of birth control in the sense of like eugenics within the black women community. Um, there really wasn't a lot of options. For women to not be pregnant, and it was a scary time, and especially when the economy isn't booming, you have to have finances to raise a child. So I think Plath's kind of writing from a perspective of it's hard to raise a child to bear children when you don't want to. And there's, a, there's limited access to not have children. And, and even in today's society, there's still an argument of what birth control is, the access to birth control, who can get birth control, who cannot get birth control, as you guys see in society, the whole Planned Parenthood issue. And you guys can take that, your perspectives or your identities towards Planned Parenthood and the oppression of women, but um, we always say, like, history repeats itself, and I think we're kind of still seeing this cycle of oppression through um, reproductive systems now. So... um, Plath offers this poem as a completely different perspective because there are terrors that that aren't necessarily discussed in pregnancy in a lot of literature that's been written. Um, These two works of your Nick and the Candlestick have juxtaposed themselves. And there are tons of religious references, uh, which you can take as your own. I highly recommend you guys to look at Sylvia Plath's work and maybe annotate it. There's nothing wrong with reading literature and trying to understand it in your own perspective. Um, I don't want to annotate today because that's a lot of work, but just my perspectives and the power of women and how amazing they are. Um, with that being said, the specific interpretations of this poem aren't something that I, um, like I said, I want to discuss with you guys, but feel free, you can contact me. You know where my social handles are. Um, but I want to bring to the forefront of creative women that aren't in the front line of 21st century creativity or don't follow the lines of popular culture. I know this podcast, we talked mostly about popular culture and the win- uh, the women that Stick out to in popular culture, but if it wasn't for women like Plath that were creators and that built this platform, we don't know where our our J.K. Rowling's or our Beyonces would be today. Um, creativity is a huge platform, and it's not just an artist or someone that writes fictional novels that have crazy success. It's someone that started from the beginning and made a way for people, like like a pioneer. And I think Sylvia Plath is a perfect example of a pioneer. Um, and I and in comparison of these two pieces of literature, they differ in values of pregnancy. We have your, which depicts pregnancy in this clumsy, fun, bright light that makes pregnancy seem so airy and luminous. And then you have Nick and the Candlestick that's droggy, and it sounds like a nursery rhyme, but it's filled with all these creepy references. Um, you know, I've presented two different images of pregnancy to you guys that are constructed through brilliant, the brilliant mind of Sylvia Plath. Um, she explored the ideas of what pregnancy can look like and can be described as. And there isn't a consistent use of pregnancy throughout literature because of women like Plath, who pushed their boundaries and created a platform where women can write confessionally and be creative. And no longer are men writing women's histories and struggles. And um, I think Plath is a perfect example of a badass woman that's like pushing through that glass ceiling and like changing the way that women can create and be seen as in society. Um, there's plenty of platforms that are still male dominated now and today. So I think with the exposure of Plath and like us understanding her pioneership to make us be more um, willing to create or willing to do what you want to do, you never know who in 70 years is going to be looking back on your work or your um, platform and be like, wow, like this woman really stood out. So I think if you guys really liked this type of Episode where we kind of like shout out badass women that weren't really in the forefront or not super popular. Then you guys feel like leave a comment and maybe we can start a series of like boss women that have changed society a little by little and have left a domino effect. Because now that I've started to be educated about Sylvia Plath and look at her in a more analytical way um, through like my coursework and my educational background, I find that there's tons of women that were in the background that have really made an impact on who we are today, how creativity is seen, how women are being seen, what kind of platforms are acceptable for women. And I think today like we still kind of have the same issue. So being educated on women like Sylvia Plath is super interesting. Now Sylvia Plath isn't, Plath isn't like the most perfect human. You guys, should, like I said, should definitely check out the way that she um, died. It's really just eerie. And you know it's that it's that month. It's October, so I would check it out. Um, and so I'm even though Toby and Jasmine aren't here, which is so weird recording without them. It's like really I don't know. It's something that I'm <laughs> not used to, but I'm obviously gonna do like what I've been listening to the to this week in the weekly playlist. So um, this week I've really been. I'm kind of like in like the fall mood, so I've been listening to a little bit of Moe's EP, um, spe- specifically Turn Your Heart to Stone. Love that song. I, the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this for 35 weeks straight, um, which I have been, and I will continue to listen to that song for the rest of my life. And then also, I came across this new artist called Ralph, and she was in, featured in, in a Toby song, not like Toby, like on the podcast, Toby, but, like, Toby the Artist. Um, and the song's called Girl Next Door, and I was like, this artist, she's amazing. And so I listened to, she just released an album. And this year, her name's Ralph, and I've been listening to Gimme, um, to um, Cold to the Touch." She has an amazing album, and I think that you guys should, like, definitely check her out. Um, and just for an, another... Warning. I'm not trying to push this binary of men versus women. Men and women are always pitted against each other, but I just find it imperative to appreciate and select women in our society um, and give them the props that they deserve. So um, just like I'm going to give props to Jasmine and Toby. Toby's out there doing her thing, living her best life in Germany. I'm so proud of her. And Jasmine's just appreciating me, and I'm appreciating her. She has always been on my back, or been by my side and kind of like lit a fire underneath my ass and like me doing like this podcast by myself they've been so supportive and they're super excited to hear this so shout out to toby and jasmine i'm super proud of your guys's work um and i hope you enjoy this podcast but you guys can always um give us a shout out leave us a question on, on our website at the don't forget to subscribe comment um and leave a review, you can, re- you can listen to this podcast um, on Google Play, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your um, information from, your podcast, and this has it, this has been it for this week's Weekly bake. I hope you guys have enjoyed it, um, have a good rest of your week, we'll be back next week, I promise, bye.